because you know at some point one of your parishioners is going to find out or is going to want to know um, do you actually believe what the Bible says? You know, do you believe what this, um, the, what this, uh, what the church has has held? And if so, why? And if not, why? And that's going to be a great divide. Welcome to the Stand Firm podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Here today, as usual, with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Doing great, Nick. J.D., I'm disappointed in the non-gray nature of your COVID beard. <laughs> well, you know, you have that little that brush-in stuff, you know, that... Uh... Both Matt and I have really sort of aged into our facial hair, and you're, you're resisting for some reason. Did you, did well, you I started, it? What's that? Did you die? No. no, I started taking over 50 men's vitamins when I was in my 30s. <laughs> Centrum in Silver. Preparation. And so it's, <laughs> that's right, Centrum Silver when I was 22. So it all works out. So that's the key. And, uh, and six gallons of carrot juice every day. So um, that's right. More carrot than man. <laughs> well, today we want to talk about a trend that, as far as I can tell, doesn't really have a name. It's a little bit postmodern, I suppose, and even a little bit emergent church, if you all remember that movement. The trend that we want to address today is the movement of churches and, and institutions, really, although it is, of course, the church that is in the front of our minds. The movement of churches away from what might be called exclusivity or absolute truth. That is, the belief that one thing is true over against another thing, that two competing things can't be true at the same time. And the mainline church has been saying this for a while in the name of welcoming, trying to avoid the assertion at any cost that your particular truth isn't welcome here. Everything can be true at the same time seems like the sermon of our age. But at the same time, the people who are preaching this sermon most stridently seem to be preaching to fewer and fewer people. These churches are emptying out. What's going on here? Yeah, I remember growing up in the, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, right, from the age of three, I was an Episcopalian, and of course, when I was younger, it was more, you know, more traditional, but the parish where I was attending became more and more liberal uh, as it went. I wasn't a Christian, but I did notice that. Uh, I noticed in the 90s, my, my pastor preaching about gay relationships and how wonderful they were, and I hadn't heard that before, so I was kind of I was kind of shocked, but but yeah, I mean, I think the the Episcopal Church is, a, is kind of an icon of this, and and it's it's always couched in terms of growth. You know, if, if we if we do, if we're not a church without walls, if we're not a church uh, that has uh, a welcomes people not just from every race and ethnicity, but every creed, really, then we're then we're never going to then we're never going to grow. So we we did, we roll out the the welcome wagon by by not being, and of course a bad word is you know, dogmatic about anything, um, and by, by welcoming people in. And you know, at first, the first stages of that, of course, if you remember, if you were, if you were in the Episcopal Church at this time, the first stages of that was, oh, oh yeah, of course, you know, we want our, our traditionalist conservative you know, friends to know, of course, you know, they're, that's, they're here, this is their church, but we just also want to be open and inclusive to, uh, uh, to others. Um, then that quickly changed to, well, we are open. We're a place where you don't have to leave your brain at the front door when you come in. We want to have the, the great conversation, the great dialogue, except that when you, Bible-believing Episcopalian, try to assert truths, that's out of the question. And you now 
have become the one who is a, who you are erecting the walls, building the barriers back up. You're going to keep people from coming in, and then you know slowly it just became a, a, a toxic. The Episcopal Church became a toxic place for um, for anybody who had an, uh, something akin to an Orthodox view and, and wanted to press that. Yeah, um, it's fine. Even now, you can be an Orthodox person in the Episcopal Church as long as you're just willing to be quiet and kind of sit back and know oh, those are just your views and not the church's views. Um, but but then it be so it became just kind of it became it became, it became toxic. And um, so I know I don't know so I, I don't know that I would necessarily say that the claim that they may I know I wouldn't say that the claim that the the, the progressive Christian makes to be open and inclusive is true of course it's true to progressive people but not <laughs> not to those who don't abide their uh by their principles and it's an interesting thing because as you said it was always couched in terms of being the way to grow being the right. way to welcome <laughs> that that somehow not believing in anything specifically or in anything too stringently was going to be attractive to other people. It seems that the course of history has shown that that's just not true. Well, I think, you know, in their defense, uh, they did see some success with what was called the seeker sensitive movement, you know, sort of the, uh, in the eighties and nineties. And so, you know, when you actually had a church that wasn't bound by a prayer book, um, or you didn't have to apologize for the creed, you didn't have to apologize for the Thurman articles, you didn't have to sit there embarrassed to the fact that you still had to have a lectionary reading, you know, in most Episcopal churches, and you were able to have a giant church with a smoke machine that was called something like Potential, or, um, you know, a church that was like, um, uh, you know, Spirit Shack, or some, you know, something where you were confused whether or not you were going to a child's birthday party or a church, well, then that had some expediency and some success, you know, some of these giant churches called like, um, you know, you think of their names, they're all some sort of um, verb, you know, like um, elevate or uh, sweat, something <laughs> like that. And, um, and anyway, but, you know, but those churches have had a huge reaction um, because people felt bait and switched by them. You know, they, they were welcome, come on in, like, you know, don't, don't look too closely at the fact that we're actually a Southern Baptist church, you know, that like, or that we're actually a Presbyterian church, you know, or that our, our, uh, our pastors went to, you know, actually went to seminary. Uh, so don't look at that too closely. Uh, just listen to the music, sort of hear the, you know, um, get, get going with the coffee and things. But then once they get pushed, then, you know, the, the pastor has a stand up and they go one of two ways, you know, and I actually watched, someone sent me a documentary about this the other day, and it had specifically to do with the LGBTQ stuff, Matt, that you mentioned, because they were, um, you know, not unlike the young life people that are complaining now, they're saying, no, wait a minute, I came to this church and you loved me and you said, you know, everything was fine and God loves you just the way you are and all this stuff. And it turns out, you know, I read Romans chapter one, you know, I read the Bible and uh, now you are hateful and exclusive and, and they felt bait and switched by this. And I think that, that part of the, the problem that churches are going to find is that as the culture uh, becomes less tolerant, as it were, of, of your uh, religious beliefs, particularly in some of these identity issues, then pastors who have thus far been able to, to um, sidestep these questions are going to get squeezed. They're going to get squeezed out because, you know, at some point, one of your parishioners is going to find out or is going to want to know 
um, do you actually believe what the Bible says? You know, do you believe what this, um, the, what this, uh, what the church has, has held? And if so, why? And if not, why? And that's going to be a great divide. And, you know, I think in the Episcopal church, in the mainline churches, you had this, you had this sort of reality where people essentially, you know, the joke was that they said the creed with their fingers crossed, you know, there was kind of a, kind of an admission that, well, we don't really believe a lot of it. Um, or at least some of the hard edges, but, um, but we do like the tradition, you know, we like the, um, you know, the, the formality of it and things. Um, but, you know, for a lot of people that, that was uh, not enough, you know, that was, it's, it's interesting left. that you, you point out that a lot of the, a lot of the people who, a lot of the churches that went down the secret sensitive route are you know, actually Southern Baptists or, or they do actually have a core of, of doctrine that they believe and they, they're not willing to jettison as opposed to, uh, the Episcopal Church. I think the people in the Episcopal Church did notice, as you mentioned, that yeah, wow, the, the, these churches are growing by leaps and bounds. Why aren't we? Um, and then I think they did try to adopt some of the ideas. Like, we let's not make it too hard. Let's make it easy. Let's let's not hit people up front with uh, heavy stuff. Let's bring them, which is secret sensitive stuff. But I think there's a, a, a difference here in the way the progressive Christian leader would look at the at, at the secret sensitive movement and i think the difference is it has to do with class the average episcopalian looks at those churches and thinks well they're they're a bunch of uh, low educated middle class middle class people we're the church of the we, we are the we are the kind of elite church and so we're not going to jettison our liturgy our liturgy we're not going to jettison our robes we're not going to jettison our hymns uh, we're going to keep all of the trappings of traditional Christianity, we're just not going to have to toe the line of, of dogma like we, like, you know, they did in the old primitive ages. Um, and, and so that's, and so really what happened is the Episcopal church and churches like it uh, didn't really become like a secret sense of churches. They became churches that were trying to appeal to unchurched liberals, appeal to unchurched liberals who had maybe grown up going to church every Sunday and had this kind of habit in their head and they just hadn't done it before. It was an appeal that wasn't unlike the, uh, the culture the despisers. Hay, yeah, the, the appeal to the culture despisers of the church. Which is why sung even songs with no sermon are like the pinnacle <laughs> of that kind of worship. Yeah. The King James, with the King James Bible. Right, and so that's why no one's going. Because, no, I mean, if, if you're a culture despiser of the church, if the church is just saying the kind of things that you read in the New York Times, boy, I'll stay home and read the New York Times and have a have a yeah. cup of coffee. Yeah, I mean, you do see you do see you know for for the culture despisers, you do see the churches that have maintained um, as it were a high culture, um, you know, sort of like you said, like the sung even song or the um, you know have a beautiful organ or maybe you know like some um, you know bell choir or something like you know something like this. Like there is there are they do still have some life in them because there is kind of a a renaissance fair type type feel you know it's like a going back to medieval england or something and um you know but i but i agree with you i think that the as the culture itself uh shifts away from from sort of a generalized veneer of christianity well then there's no need to to pretend there's no need to there's no expediency at all in being being anything um with respect to a church you know there's the great late great um peter berger recounts he's a sociology sociologist religion is german born but uh, austrian i believe but anyway he recounts uh, an anecdote where one of his german friends moved to the u.s and he was a lutheran and you know for by and large it was a sort of immigrant 
um, you know, low-income immigrant uh, Lutheran. And he talks to him a couple of years later, and he's, he was all excited because he had moved from the Lutheran church to the Presbyterian church. And Peter says, well, wh- well why didn't you move to the Episcopal, uh, Episcopalian church? He says, well, that, that would be just too far of a jump, too far of a jump up, you know, from, but he was excited sociologically speaking to have sort of raised his, his public uh, profile by, by this churchmanship. And you can actually see this, you know, in most, most cities in the U.S., at least, you know, particularly in the Northeast, you know, the, the, the oldest, most established church was, in fact, the Episcopal Church, you know, from the Anglicans. And then you had sort of a filtering down to, you know, you get to the lowest of the lowest, sort of like the free will snake handling church or something, you know, which was, <laughs> was the, but you had this spectrum. And that, um, you know, was, was what it was, but it certainly is not the case today. And so we should be unsurprised that when people who are searching for something actually to believe in, you know, searching for some sort of truth in the world, um, when they go looking for a church that, that says, we're not really sure, well, they just keep moving. They just keep moving on. But wouldn't you say that the liberal church, and, you know, obviously there are exceptions, but wouldn't you say that there is, in fact, a dogma at those churches except that they refuse to admit it like they they have just as much a dogma it seems like as any other church does it hybrid cars same-sex unions etc etc but the one thing that's out of bounds is admitting that you have a dogma Hmm. yeah it's kind of fascinating i mean especially when you think about the way they so in, in my interactions with Episcopalians or other progressive Christians online, you know, sometimes I, learn, <laughs> I say things online. Um, sometimes Matt says <laughs> strong things online. <laughs> right. The Mostly alternate peaceful. title of this podcast. That's Mostly right. peaceful, though. Um, the, the, um, one of the things, you come, well, you're just, you are a fundamentalist and you have checked your brain at the door and you're just buying into the dogma of, of right-wing Trumpian Christianity or whatever it might be, uh, but then you know when you you listen to what the what's going what's going on in the average Episcopalian church, they say you get to check your brain at the door to come to, go to our churches, but there's no real intellectual searching. Um, it's it, it really is a preaching of the cultural dogma of the day, trying to wrench everything into. Every time the sermons are kind of wrenched in such a way that the text that they're preaching on will do nothing but affirm the the liberal progressive way way of thought. So it's a kind of fundamentalism, like you point out, but it's it's hidden. It's it's hidden underneath the, this kind of veneer of pseudo intellectualism. We can go to these we can go to these churches. We can affirm our our goodness and our rightness for being liberal and and are being unlike the rabid dog Trumpians who are filling those big box churches. We are different than not really an engagement with any ideas. And so I think people just get it's, it's it just gets kind of intellectually boring um, over time. And it seems like the key now that you have said it, I think I can hear it. Is not so much that there's no dogma it's that there's no solid ground upon which it rests so the dogma of today can be anathema tomorrow mm-hmm. and you have to keep up with whatever the culture is saying so that you're again welcoming everybody's welcome as long as you're saying exactly what the culture is saying at the moment and god forbid 
that something cataclysmic happened in the culture and we have to shift wildly from what we were preaching last week, which does happen. And so it's not so much that they don't have a set of beliefs. They actually do, but it's that there's no core, that there's nothing solid. There isn't anything to be counted on. I really think that, I mean, it's, it's Hegelian, I guess, at the, 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 the base. Um, what culture does yeah. is the unfolding of God yes. in, 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 in history. Yeah. And so, and so we, you can actually look at the culture and how it's changing and say, okay, well, this is, this is God's revealing God's self in, yep. in the things, in the things that are, that are happening. In yeah, the it, took me, it actually took me a long time to get my head around that concept map, because when I did my doctoral work in uh, Germany, I was uh, reading early 20th century Lutherans in particular, uh, who were very much influenced by Schleiermacher and Boltmann. And, and I was being uh, sort of edified by them in many ways. And I had friends of mine who were very uh, wary of them. And I, I couldn't understand why necessarily. And that was my fault, it turns out. It took me three years of reading these guys to actually figure out why I should be wary of some of them. And that was precisely that, that point, was that I had no idea that people didn't conceive of God as a Christian, as a personal being. Like I had no idea. I was like, what, what are you talking about? You know, I had no, so I was reading these people talking about God just with an assumption, you know, a traditional Christian assumption that God is a person, you know, one in three, but nevertheless has, uh, you know, is, is a being, is, a, is an actual substantive, you know, I mean, it's a spirit, but like there, there was, a, there was a, an entity that was God, that was not the, the outworking of humanity by the spirit, you know, and it took me a long time. And finally, I was like, wait a minute, that's what you're talking about. Like, I even read a book called The Substance of God, written by some um, Lutherans who I'm very fond of uh, now. But I was, I was having a hard time understanding the book because they essentially were arguing in a variety of ways that we believe that God is actually a being, not just a force or a, or a uh, sort of, uh, you know, the, the unfolding of human history. And when I finally came to realize that that's what they're talking about, I reread and sort of redigested all of these things and realized that's precisely what has happened in sort of the liberal church is that the, the vertical reality of God has essentially been, been abolished or, or, or removed. And all that remains is this horizontal outworking of, you know, loving your neighbor is in fact the same as loving God. Yeah. And therefore, whatever is perceived to be the most loving sort of stance towards your neighbor um, is what you should do as a Christian. And so that's the first thing that has to leave is to make them upset by, by perhaps talking about sin, you know, or talking about wrath or judgment or, or repentance, because that is uh, very, that doesn't seem very loving, you know, to ask someone to stop doing something that they want to do, or that they perhaps are going to um, regret the choices that they're, they're continuing in because God who exists outside of them has, has decided that that would be something worth judging. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. All that. I mean, I think that's the, the that's a basic thrust, and it would explain why the, the the change in in dogma and thought over the course of time takes place. But I wouldn't say that every Episcopalian clergy person would say, "I don't believe in a personal God." I think they do. Many of them do. Um, many of them believe the triune nature of God. The thing is, they just don't believe that that he or she or it or whatever is revealed in the pages of scripture as a primary source of revelation at least not anymore not anymore they would say they would say okay well scripture is the experience of the historic community right. that this is how they experience god's unfolding god's self and we're experiencing him different in our context that's behind all that context language that we heard in the early 2000s where well yes we understand how our global south 
brothers and sisters think this is wrong, but that's because they have a different cultural context. And in our cultural context, this is the way God's revealing himself or herself or whatever. And in their context, he's not. And so we just got to recognize that in different cultures, God speaks in different ways. That's a permutation of that because they, they do believe in, many of them believe in a, a personal God and they would, some of them would say at least part of the creed without without crossing their fingers, but, but still that's, that's, that's the idea is it is that you, the, the place where you go, you exposit culture, you exposit the avant-garde new breakthroughs of progressive culture to see where God is doing his work. And you can work. narrow it and narrow it and narrow it. For instance, if you just saw a difference in the Episcopal church in the early 2000s, excuse me, in Anglicanism, but between the West and the global South, you can narrow that to within the United States. You can narrow that to within a particular state. You can narrow that to within a neighborhood. And all of a sudden everybody just has their own context and we have to accept your context and my context and JD's context and everybody's. And all of a sudden it's again, we, we sort of return to this idea of a belief in everything. And, Except. and JD, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scratch your itch here um, because a belief in everything is just the same as a belief in nothing. And <laughs> if the never-ending story teaches us anything, it's that the nothing will come and get us. That's right. Well, and, you know, I think that it, it sounds so quaint, even, Matt, talking about the way that the church was talking in early 2000s compared to way the way we're talking now, because I think that that given the cultural context that we're in uh, with respect to that particular point you're bringing up, Nick, about how everyone's, um, you know, particular culture has to be respected, and there is no, or am I arguing that, that you should be in any way different than you are is considered to be oppressive or, or wrong? I mean, I think we've essentially, we're living through the end for, end of evangelism, the end of missions to a certain uh, church, because how could you defend oh, yeah. uh, going into a culture that wasn't Christian from a from a progressive mindset and and arguing at all that they should be anything other than they are? I mean, I yeah. just finished reading How to Be an Anti-Racist, actually. I'm doing a <laughs> review for it, and that's essentially the the fundamental argument is that is that cultures are relative and should be celebrated. And culture, of course, includes your religious beliefs. Um, and therefore, uh, to argue like Paul did, you know, in the synagogues, in the cities, that you should, in fact, believe something other than you currently believe is considered, well, in this book, racist, but, but um, certainly, yeah. yeah, culturally insensitive. And I don't think, I don't understand how, um, the church is going to exist with any sort of evangelistic fervor. Um, not that it has a lot now, but, uh, but you know, 20 years from now, uh, with, with respect to how the progressive church believes about culture and, and oppression and all these things, I don't, I don't understand, or I, I can't imagine them making an argument that you should, in fact, become a Christian. Um, I see it the other way, don't you? I mean, I think this is just naming something that's been true for a long time. The, the evangelism stopped years ago because they felt guilty about it. They didn't know why. Now they have verbiage to explain to them why what they stopped doing all those years ago was actually wrong the whole time. Yeah. And they were right to stop. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I worked when I was working in Vienna um, in the uh, Diocese of Europe, you know, there was very much um, these churches in the middle of, of non, uh, non-Christian environments. Like, you know, we have four or five churches in Turkey, uh, there are churches in Romania, you know, the churches all over Europe 
Um, and by and large, the clergy were very reticent to actually um, to sort of evangelize. You know, it was much more of a um, chaplaincy to the English speaking, you know, already Christian in the area. And I have a good friend of mine who is a Turkish uh, group. His, his name is um, um, uh, Ingen. And he grew up uh, as a Turkish sort of cultural Muslim and got, and when he was in college, he started getting in fights with the campus crusade missionaries who were sent to his college because he wanted to sort of, you know, I don't know, he was just an argumentative, said strong things on the internet, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> but it turns out, lo and behold, he actually heard something by the power of the spirit about the forgiveness of God in Christ for sinners and was converted. And, and then he eventually became a uh, Church of England minister. And so I would have the most fun whenever we were in a group of people uh, getting Ingen to give us his uh, testimony in the middle of all this. And I would say, Ingen, tell us again how you got here all the way from Istanbul. And it was just uh, wonderful to hear because, because I know for a fact that there was, I mean, it's uncomfortable. It was being incredible to be a be a missionary in the middle of a of a Muslim country for sure. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not doing it currently, but um, but there are people that do, and thank God for the conviction they have because that's in fact um, bringing the message of salvation to lost and hurting people. And that's that's really fundamentally what what is sad about the progressive church is that they've lost at some point the the joy of their own salvation. You know, because if what you're preaching is horizontal reconciliation to your neighbor however it's currently conceived by the New York Times, well, then you've lost something of the, the peace which the world does not know that comes from having been, been absolved of your sins by the, the blood of Christ. You know, I, I agree that, um, that evangelism as traditionally understood is, no, is, is verboten now. I mean, you, you don't want to change a culture. You're, you know, there's, if it's not verboten, it's going to be ver ver verboten. You're not going to see a lot of Episcopalian progressive people funding explicitly evangelistic missions. That being said, I, I don't know that I, I would agree that the relativistic age is going to continue. I think it's coming to a pretty quick end. And, and, and I think that progressive Christians, and I'm, I'm using those word, the word Christian in scare quotes, because I don't think that the things that the, the average progressive Christian and quote unquote believes is consistent with actual Christianity, but they are evangelists. They, 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 they do not like aspects of cultures that they bump up against. They despise the culture of the global South when it comes to sexuality and when it comes to the, the love of having babies. Um, and so these people want to export progressivism into these places. I mean, you saw that's what the Anglican commune is doing, feeding money to traditionalist provinces and in the global South, they're trying to subvert them. They're trying to get them to come to the table and have Indaba so that they can recognize that their views are primitive and uh, need to be changed. So I think there, I, I mean, I think, I think evangelism is alive and well, but it's a, mm -hmm. it's a, an evangelism to, uh, I guess it's an evangelism out of orthodoxy and into heresy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Multiculturalism is a lie. It, yeah. It's not actually a respective culture. It's not a respective culture. It's you are, uh, we love your clothing and your dances yeah. and your food. Yeah, your food, bring your food in. Um, but when the minute you don't accept that uh, Jane is really Jim and gets to wear, you know, the, the male clothing in your culture, then you need to change. You are being wicked. And Christianity is, and they'll use Christianity as the kind of lever and the wedge to try and push that. Don't you so love, I, I, again, don't you actually love. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. 
You're exactly right, Matt. And we've seen this play out um, with the sort of contempt that um, that we've seen from the as were the Western Church to the Global South uh, when it comes to the actual specifics of what they believe. They're always happy to have pictures being taken with um, you know all of these um, these you know multi uh, ethnic bishops, but when it comes down to what they believe, they essentially dismiss them as um, you know backwards or or uh, you know or worse. And so I think you know what's going to be interesting coming forward is is particularly those people who want to land the plane somewhere as you mentioned in the beginning but who have yet to be um is confronted as it were i think that the i think that the walls are closing in on those people who are sort of you know because the the tolerance of well we're, we're okay with you believing what you believe just keep it to yourself you know particularly from the leadership within churches is is waning i think it's going to be you know i think that you have more and more people rightfully so who are, who are coming to their pastors, coming to their elders or, or the vestry and saying, what do we believe about X, Y, and Z and why, you know? And I think that that's going to be a, um, there's going to be a reckoning um, on, on one side or the other for this. And I think that, um, you know, that it's going to be more and more difficult, uh, which is a good thing to be on the sidelines with respect to these questions. And so the people who, who aren't sure of what they believe are going to have to, to really quickly um, come to some decision. And the people who do are going to be um, found out or forced to account. Um, and that's going to be bring even more clarity to the church going forward. You know, we said we said before. I mean, the gospel of this age in in, in the West, anyway, is within. Um, decide who you are, boy or girl, whatever. Change everything externally to reflect that inner truth, and disallow any negative feedback or consider hatred if you get it. And then you'll be happy. Then then you'll then you'll live a fulfilled life if you can. If you and so you you look within, find your truth, live your truth out keep people from giving me back chat and you're, and, and you're going to be happy. But you know, the reality is that that's, it's interesting. People know, I mean, everyone who tries to live in accordance with that is going to find this is, there's no there, there. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no substance to it. And I think that's why um, we were talking earlier off, off air about uh, Jordan Peterson and, um, some others who who are offering the secular person or the, the non-churched person some kind of friction, some kind of wait a minute. <laughs> Here, there are some there are some truths beyond yourself that need to be that need to be dealt with, and people are hungry for that. And that's why I think, and I've, I've, of course, the, the gates of hell will never prevail over the church. That's why I think that as we come back to every every week. Um, the continual preaching of law and gospel in, in both the church and in, in society is always going to have, it's always going to draw people. God is always going to use that to, to, to break through the blinders of the present, uh, the present variation of the ancient false gospel and bring people to, uh, to the truth about themselves and about God. Yes. And I mean, you will see continually, speaking of the false gospel, you know, from Galatians, we see the attraction, the initial appeal of a, of something what Paul would say, which is not the gospel, you know, some sort of man-made, um, you know, uh, sort of repentance, uh, absolution system. And we see this all around us, you know, I mean, it's part of the zeal behind all the, the anti-racism stuff and all the, you know, people are, people are gathering or glomming on to, to the rightful sense that there's something wrong and they're looking for absolution and, and peace. 
Uh, but unless it comes from God himself through his son, then there will be no peace. Like, you know, Joel, it'll be peace, peace, there is no peace. And so, you know, we'll continue to preach the actual law of God, which is from him to, to sinners, which will send people scurrying, obviously fleeing from it. But at the same time, there will be by the power of the spirit, those who have been called to repentance and new life through faith, who will then know the peace of God, the actual forgiveness of God, the, the love of God, which is his forgiving his redeeming love. And that's what will um, continue to sustain the church um, for as long as we have breath, right? So there we go. Amen. Well, we have uh, reached the end of our time for this week. Both Matt and I need to go color our beards. Um, (laughs) uh, Don't you? It's too late. Started 25 with Centrum Silver. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this conversation, obviously. And as always, there is more to say. If you'd like to join our conversation, you can send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. Please uh, check us out on iTunes. Send us a review and a rating. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Thanks to Matt Kennedy and JD Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we will be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.